Clinker Factor, the Cement Industry Podcast. Welcome to the Clinker Factor, and I should say welcome back after the New Year holidays and celebrations. The Clinker Factor is a podcast from WCA, which looks at the cement industry's response to climate change around the world and other topics of interest. I'm Ian Riley, CEO of WCA, and your host on the Clinker Factor. Uh, so today I'm talking to Ryan Saidella, who's Vice President of Innovation and Market Development at Ozinga Concrete in the US. Uh, Ozinga provides concrete solutions via truck, rail, barge, and ship across both the Midwest and Florida. And it's a, a family business that was founded in 1928. So Ryan, uh, welcome to the Clinker Factor. I wonder if you could start by introducing yourself and, and how you came to be in the concrete business. Sure, yeah, no, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me in, uh, glad to be here. Uh, looking forward to the discussion. Um, yeah, I started at Ozinga uh, about uh, 19 years ago. I uh, started off in the dispatch office and kind of uh, worked my way around the company in various facets through dispatch uh, operations, uh, ran a division, uh, and then founded our R&D lab about four or five years ago. And now I oversee what we call our customer development group, which includes our inside sales, marketing, and technical services group. Let's start out by just uh, setting the scene with the challenges that the concrete industry is facing at the moment. So what are the things at the top of your list? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say, and you know, probably sound like a broken record to a lot of other industries, but you know, right now is, is realistically just hiring and retaining employees. Uh, that's been a challenge uh, you know, for as long as I can remember, but, but definitely now more than ever. Uh, so I'd say that's probably one of our largest challenges right now. But when it comes to the material side of things, you know, right now is, is really just the ability to procure and acquire low carbon materials in, in their use within our concrete and to make sure that they don't affect the performance. Uh, right now, here specifically in the States and in the Midwest, we're going through a, a change uh, where the cement suppliers are now switching everything over to uh, a Portland limestone cement, a 1L. And there's definitely been some, some discussions, uh, good or bad, with the specification community and owners uh, as they're just not quite ready for it. And the cement producers have really just kind of drawn a hard line in the sand, which which I can appreciate because if they just kind of continued to say, we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And you never really get there. So the producers, the cement producers in this market have really just said, okay, we're done with type one, two cement and we're moving over to PLC. So uh, that's been a little bit of a challenge uh, just as a lot of uh, the, the, the PLCs are not found in all the specifications. So, so overcoming those challenges and just, you know, having a lot of those discussions around what is that going to do the performance, not only hardened properties, but plastic properties. So in, in making this change from uh, uh, type one, which is OPC to PLC, which has, uh, do, do you know the proportion of limestone that you're getting typically in these cements? Sure, the, the, uh, the ASTM C595 here in the States allows for up to 15% interground limestone. So the cement producers are, they're anywhere from the neighborhood of 10 to 12, 12 12.5% um, with the interground limestone, whereas the type one twos, they are only allowed up to 5%. Um, but, you know, from our perspective, we've been we've been testing it and, and using a, a PLC here for some time. And the performance is actually it's one of those things you wouldn't know if you didn't tell anybody. Right. So are you having to reformulate your concretes in order to use it or, or just to drop in one for one? Yeah, it's a one for one replacement. I mean, the way that they're producing the one the, the L cements, uh, they're actually grinding a little bit finer uh, so that you don't sacrifice any of that performance up front. Right. 
Okay. And that, that's having, obviously, a, a, an impact on the carbon footprint, presumably reducing it, what, I suppose, uh, just in proportion to the limestone. It's not as much as, you know, it's not a 10 to 12%. I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of eight, eight or so percent. Yeah. We've, we've seen a reduction overall. Um, but yeah, there it is helping. And it's kind of just that process of marrying all these different technologies to, um, to really try to drive that carbon footprint down. So, so one of the things that uh, seems to be happening in, in a number of markets is that the contractors and specifiers and, and developers are more willing to engage in a, let's say, a sort of whole supply chain discussion about how to meet their objectives. So it's not just about cost anymore. It's about other things, in particular carbon. And, and are you seeing that in your markets? Is that one of the things that is driving low carbon demand? Yeah, I would say probably over the last year, we've really seen a shift in the type of discussions that we're having. Uh, we're being brought into these conversations much earlier, whereas in the past, the only time we would talk to a specifier or a general contractor if, if there was really an issue or a problem. Um, now they're coming to us early on in the development and design stages of their projects and saying, hey, this is what we want to do. Can you do it? And if you can, to what extent can you reduce the carbon footprint? You know, what does it cost? How's the performance? So really, these conversations are, are happening I would say almost daily now. Um, and we're getting calls just out of the blue from, from these developers and even owners, all the way up to owners, wanting to have these discussions with us just to see how we can help them. Because that's really you know, where they need to go at this point in time to, to meet their reduction goals. And, and is that a, a point of differentiation? Is that something that you're able to do uh, better than some of your competitors? You know, I would say... Um, you know, we, we were a little bit out ahead of the game. We were kind of prepared for this. We went through and did EPDs for all of our plants and our locations. Uh, we were early adopters of Carbon Cure, uh, which is a, you know, carbon reduction technology uh, back in 2016. So we've been a little bit ahead of the game, but I think as, as the competition has started to see that, you know, to play in this space, you're going to have to have these conversations, be open to, to reformulating, changing, doing more trials uh, and working with these, with these specifiers and even our contractors to really develop a solution that works for them without really, you know, most importantly, not affecting the construction schedule, because that's really where the money comes in. They're okay with a small premium on the low carbon concrete, but you've got to be able to reformulate these designs so that you're not causing, you know, a, a large delay in set or early strength gain. And, and are you seeing um, that on, on particular projects, the uh, developers are, are willing to, or, or the contractors, I guess, are willing to use more uh, grades of concrete so that they can reduce the, the footprint by, by using lower grades of concrete on, on applications that don't, don't require a, a high cement concrete? Yeah, that's really where we try and really hammer home where we can really impact their global warming potential for their structure is really, you know, where, what's not a critical path item? You know, is it okay to get, you know, go to a 56-day strength for some elements? Because then you can use, you know, a, a make a 4,000, really a 6,000 long-term in a 56-day strength scenario. So, yeah, those are definitely part of the conversations we're having. You know, I would say the contractors are a little bit more hesitant than than a specifier or even an owner to want to do it just because it's so different. It's, it's, it's out of the norm for them. But you know, we've got, you know, there's, there's definitely contractors who are on board and realizing that it's a differentiation for themselves to be a part of that conversation, to be an advocate for it, not only, you know, ask about it, but really offering these solutions. You know, we have a particular contractor who offers multiple different levels of uh, mixes based on the application and then really lets the specifiers and the owners decide, you know, what is their, what is their appetite for, you know, what I would call risk at this point, because it is still fairly new, but yeah, that that's definitely part of the conversation because, you can't continue to construct in the same way and, and have that big of an impact on your, your carbon footprint. Do you have any uh, 
specific examples of solutions that you've been able to develop as a result of having these early conversations with with the contractors and, and developers? Yeah, absolutely. So we, you know, I can't necessarily name their name uh, due to an NDA, but we've got a, a large tech firm that's building a very large data warehouse uh, network um, out in our area. And, you know, we, we originally submitted Carbon Cure for the project and they requested a meeting immediately. And I thought we were in trouble, but turns out they were, they were pleased and excited that we were offering some type of low carbon solution. So, you know, we've been working with them for probably about a little over a year now. And, you know, the first project, we did a little bit of carbon cure, kind of get the feet wet. And then now uh, for the second phase of the project, we offer them different levels of carbon reduction. And, you know, we're, we're able to reduce from the baseline roughly about 70% on, a, on the foundation application, just because it's not such a critical path item, you know, for them to strip the forms and move on, they only needed 500 PSI in a day. So, you know, we were able to provide them different levels of reduction and they chose the highest one uh, to really have that impact. And they, and, they, and they look at it from a perspective of, okay, based on the premium for the mix, you know, how does that look like in terms of the amount of CO2 saved? So they, they rationalize it in terms of comparing it to what a, a carbon offset costs out on the open market. So as long as we're within that threshold and we don't impact the schedule uh, for their project, um, it's been a really great relationship with them, the, uh, the general contractor and the contractor. Uh, we've really learned, you know, had some really good learning lessons and if, you know, now we're taking it to the point of trying to, to get that out to the community and say, hey, this, we can really do this, but these, this is how it has to work. These are the steps we need to take to work together to make it happen. It just can't be a, you know, pushing it down from the top. It's got to be all parties need to be involved to make it successful. Yeah, that's, that's a wonderful example of that kind of uh, cooperation and, and where you found the opportunities specifically as a result of that uh, cooperation. Cooperation along the supply chain is something that's uh, you know, often cited, but I think that's a that's a wonderful il illustration of it. Um, do do you find that um, it's difficult to source the materials you would like to source to provide uh, the low carbon concrete, or is is that something that you're able to do? You know, it, it really depends. Uh, there there's definitely some products out there that I would love to be able to use, but just from a logistics and transportation standpoint, it's it's not uh, economically feasible and or from a carbon footprint, right? If I want to use a product from say the East coast, um, even if, if the economics work out, you know, by the time you truck it, rail it or barge it over here, you're, you're not really saving any CO2. So, you know, that, that is one of the challenges is trying to find these local materials that will work within our market and to piece them all together, right? Cause it's, it's just not one silver bullet that's going to drop your carbon footprint. You've got to take these different products, different cement replacements, admixtures and, and kind of put them all together and figure out what's the sweet spot. So yeah, the logistics can be a challenge, you know, based on where you're at. Um, you know, not, it's not a one size fits all either. You know, you go to the West coast, they've got different challenges, go down South, same idea. So it's really about what's available in your market, um, you know, from an economics and, and CO2 standpoint. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's, that fits into something that I call my grandmother's idea of uh, good environmental behavior, you know, which is essentially reusing things and buying locally. And I suspect this is kind of a theme we're going, going to see uh, uh, more of. If you think about where this is all going, you know, if you think, uh, I don't know, three or four years down, down the road, how do you see this, this changing over time? Do you see the, the nature or the, the, uh, the, the concrete uh, mixes that you're producing in a few years time being, being different from the ones you produce today? And, and how might that be different? 
Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, right now we're just kind of on the, the, the tipping point for this. So, you know, the, the designs we're using now are, are, yes, are they better than the ones we were using a couple of years ago? For sure. Um, are they where, really where we need to go? No. Um, but I think given the conservative nature of, you know, structural engineers and, and whatnot, you know, we kind of need to baby step this along the way to get people comfortable with it. So, you know, as we sit today, we've got a series of low carbon mixes that we call carbon sense. Um, but I see those as an ever evolving you know, iteration of change. And I think we're going to continually see that, that global warming potential keep going down and down and down, but we just, we've got to get everybody comfortable with what we're doing first before we kind of take that leap off the, <laughs> the cliff. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there's clearly more appetite to take risk if the, uh, the result of failure is not catastrophic. You know, if you, you if you're building a bridge, you are probably a bit more risk averse than if you're building a parking lot. Um, Correct. Yeah, let's go back to the original uh, comment you made about hiring, because I think this is another area that's kind of interesting uh, for, for everybody, um, from perhaps from different angles, but uh, hiring and retention. How has that changed post-pandemic for you? You know, for us, it's it's been just a challenge, you know, um, in, in our Midwest market here in the Chicagoland area, we're, we're a union environment. Um, and, you know, obviously that comes with a seniority list. So, for us, what we've seen is, you know, retaining these drivers on the bottom of the seniority list is definitely a challenge just because they're not getting the hours. I mean, it's, it's tough to support a family on, you know, uh, thirty dollars to $40,000 your first year driving a truck, you know, and realistically, the uncertainty of the hours as well. You know, you don't really know every day what your start time is, and you don't know when you're going to be done. Um, mm-hmm. So it's definitely a challenge. But I think, you know, if you find the right person who, who enjoys you know, what we're doing as a company, leaving a legacy, leaving an impact on, on our communities and building and, and things of that nature. If they look at it through that lens and they can, you know, weather that storm, that's definitely, you know, where you're going to find some very loyal employees, but it's the challenge is finding them, you know, when we try to, to, to utilize our existing workforce for referrals and, you know, try to reward them for that, because it, it does create an issue for us uh, in terms of not only delivering concrete, but even getting the raw materials into our facilities. Well, truckers, if you can't find a trucker to bring in the aggregates or the cement, you know, I can't make concrete. I, then I don't even need anybody to deliver it. So those are some of the, 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 the challenges we're definitely facing now. Um, you know, and then you try to just to be more efficient with what you have because you can't find people, you know, so that, that's kind of where we're at. We're trying to be creative. We're trying to, to get out there and, and market ourselves as a, you know, as, you know, we're not just driving a truck. It's, you know, there's more to it than that. It's, trying to overcome that stigma of being a truck driver and, and what people think is maybe not so glorious of a job. And are you trying to uh, uh, use technology to help communicate with customers and schedule trucks and, um, and make that all run more efficiently? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're you know, even utilizing, you know, our, our internal app uh, so people can check their, check the locations of their truck, put orders in, you know, even get their tickets, you know, moving along the e-ticketing line. So, yeah, we're trying to utilize whatever resources we possibly can to make ourselves more efficient, you know, and then obviously looking at metrics, you know, making sure that we're running efficiently, taking the trucks, you know, from the right locations and, and not, you know, hauling longer than we need to. And, and really also working with our customers, you know, instead of everybody wanting concrete between six o'clock and noon, you know, we need to, we need to stretch this out a little bit just because of the situation we're in, you know, utilize that full workday as opposed to slamming it all in before lunchtime. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's a very good good point. Another another topic we might just touch on is um, is reinforcement. If you look at uh, the carbon footprint of reinforced concrete, then obviously quite a chunk of it comes from the steel. These when when you when you're putting together concrete, well, not just concrete mixes, but when when you're looking at how to satisfy the customers 
uh, demands for walls or slabs or whatever. Uh, do you look at the reinforcement side of it as well? Is that something that you're working with the uh, CL supplier on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are we really are trying to push the macro fiber market for a, a, a substitute for rebar and welded wire uh, fabric. You know, un unfortunately, I feel like that that market really hasn't taken off as well as I thought it should have at this point in time. But you know, as part of that exercise, we went through with our uh, EPD. Um, vendor and and ran the numbers on what does it look like to replace certain applications so we're able to provide our contractors with the you know the necessary tools to go in there and say hey listen i could take out the rebar i can put in you know x pounds of macro fiber uh not only probably save you money time and you know the risk of these these guys out there putting the, the steel in um but also this is what i can do from a co2 impact and and show that as well so yeah, every opportunity we get, we're submitting an alternative. You know, we work with our fiber suppliers. If it's a little bit more complicated of a project, send them the information. They come back with engineered drawings. Um, so yeah, that that's part of what our daily uh, specification group does is really work to to get that into these projects. I think there's there's just benefits from all parties. And you were saying that you haven't seen as much of that as as you think there could be. Is it just people not being used to it or what do you, what do you think the resistance is? Yeah, I think it's just, again, the conservative nature. It's something that's still in their eyes, fairly new, you know, but you'll find these pockets of people who, you know, engineers who've used it and loved it and that's all they spec now. But then, you know, you try to flip some other projects and you get some hesitation and resistance and, you know, it's really just trying about to, to educate them and let them know, you know, what it is, how it works, where we've used it uh, just to reassure them that there's no issues with it. So, yeah, I think it's just, uh, you know, it's still fairly new, I guess you would consider it in, in this type of industry based on how long the, the concrete industry has been around. So mm. it's really just incrementally, you know, gaining steam. And, you know, I, I hope to see more of it as we continue to move on. Um, in, in terms of um, new materials, so I, I guess uh, fiber is one of the areas where you get new materials, but in terms of new uh, heavy materials, you know, cementitious materials, aggregates and so on, is there anything that you're, you're looking at these days? Yeah, I think one of the things that we're really starting to look at and focus on is, is blended products, right? How can I take maybe a subpar product and blend it in with something and, and combine it maybe with another admixture or whatnot to, to make it a usable product, right? Something that would have gone to the landfill um, now we can use uh, without really affecting the performance too much. So really looking at blended SCMs, even blended cements. Um, I think that's really where the wave of the future is going. I think PLC is just the start of that, you know, so that that's that's kind of what we're looking at from the cementitious side, from the aggregate side. It's really products like um, like Blue Planet, where they're growing aggregates, you know, using CO two mineralization. Uh, there's a company called Carbon Eight, sort of doing the same thing. So, you know, from the aggregate side, that's kind of what we're looking at. You know, how do we now take a, a mix that's low carbon and, and continue to you know incrementally drive that down further? You know, so can I incorporate a portion of this type of aggregate that's been mineralized or, or things of that nature? So those are kind of some of the things that are high on our radar. You know, and even looking into the future is you know, fly ash goes away, you know, calcine clays, things of that nature, you know, but again, that's a logistics issue as well. You know, if you don't have a clay, you know, deposit near your, you know, facilities, it becomes a little bit of a challenge. So yeah, we're kind of, you know, looking, you know, down the road and figuring out, you know, how are we going to be ready and be prepared for, for this continued trend? And, and is that something that you take the initiative on, or is it something that you rely on your cement suppliers to, to provide you with? You know, we're, we're, we're lucky, we're blessed. We've got a full research and development team. We've got a couple lead researchers, uh, data scientists on staff that just are really good at diving in and finding these different resources. And, and, and a lot of our partnerships with different universities kind of get us in tune to a lot of these things. Um, so, 
Yeah, I mean, I would say the cement suppliers are, you know, really their biggest solution right now is the PLC cement, but I wouldn't say they're necessarily coming to us with additional other products to utilize with it at this point yeah. in time. Um, just uh, one, one topic I'd like to perhaps, uh, close with. Uh, in, in the UK, we've seen um, in the case of HS2, which is the high-speed rail project, that one of the contractors uh, for that has been very keen to try to use the, the clay that they've excavated in the tunnels as a cementitious product for the concrete. Now, it's, it's a very poor quality um, because it doesn't have very high kaolinite, um, but they're still quite keen to use it you know, low-grade uh, concrete, so, uh, some uh, slabs or fill or whatever that uh, they, they don't worry about too much. And I think that's a big change in mindset on the part of the contractors to be willing to get away from standard uh, specifications and standard products in, in order to meet other objectives, you know, in this case, sustainability objectives. Is that something that you, you're also seeing in this, this, this change of mindset? You've mentioned already the willingness to work together with, you know, along the supply chain, but is there also a willingness to, let's say, be more creative in, in finding uh, solutions rather than sticking to the, uh, the standard way of doing things? Yeah, um, I wish I could say it, it, we've seen that more around the States. Um, you know, it, it necessarily, you know, I can't speak for other markets, but the Chicagoland market and, and the South Florida market where we operate, you know, not too creative yet from the contractor side. I think you're, you're getting a little bit more push down from owners, developers, things of that nature for them to kind of look at some of those things. But I think, you know, I think as we start to near upon these, these targets that have been set, whether it's net zero by 2030 or the SE 2050, um, I think you're going to start to see more of that. I think that's only going to have to happen for this to be successful. So I think just right now for us, it's really more right now they're in a, what I would call like a data collection phase. So everybody's kind of looking at what are they doing? What's their carbon footprint? Okay. You know, we're comfortable with how we're recording this. And then, you know, then they're going to start looking at, you know, different ways to maybe change how they're doing things. You know, for example, you know, for us in, in, in the Chicagoland market for PT, slabs, they like to stress the next day, the next morning, right? So you got to be at 32, 3300 PSI, you know, within 18 hours, roughly. So what we've had discussions with, you know, not necessarily the contractors, but even some of the structural engineers is they're, they're looking at ways, okay, well, can we change the way that that system works? Can we change the way that the, you know, the fasteners are attached or the stresses that are put on them so that we don't necessarily need that? So, so some of these conversations are happening. Um, I just, it's not necessarily coming from the contractor side yet, but I think that's going to evolve as time goes on because it just, it, it, it has to for this to work. Well, great. So uh, thank you very much uh, for speaking to me today, Ryan. This, this whole area uh, of how low carbon concrete and, and the uh, way in which we work together along the supply chain uh, all the way up to the owners is, is changing is a, a really exciting area and, and one that's going to uh, have a big influence on, on the way that the industry developed. So thank you very much for your comments today. Yeah, thank you for having me.